0: Hello, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 204. We talk about food a lot on this podcast. Pre-pandemic, it was food from the places that I was traveling. Because food is always a great way to get to know someone, to break down walls, to experience a culture, to try something new. And my stories were coming to you from the road. I was in someplace new. That slowed down a lot over the past year. I've done a bit of travel up and down the East Coast, but I'm trying to be smart and responsible and good. And so travel's just really not in the picture right now. And so we've had all these really cool conversations with people here in New York. And a lot of it still is through the food lens. The pandemic has really forced us to look at food, sometimes in new ways, sometimes as a return to old ways. We've had people on here who work in the food industry and have had to adapt by cooking out of their kitchen, by doing deliveries and pickups and things like that because their brick and mortar is shut down or because they went out of business. But there's a lot of other ways that we've been looking at food through all of the protests over the summer and the long lines for voting in the primaries and then in the presidential election, there's a lot of people out there who need to be fed. And so there's great groups like Fuel the People who are doing just that and they are feeding protesters or feeding people who live online. Uh, Live online. (laughs) Feeding people who are waiting online. Imagine that if you only lived online in the internet. That'd be weird. It's like some kind of like Gibson dystopian type thing. Anyway, but yeah, they're they're using local chefs and local restaurants, primarily chefs and restaurants for people of color, who are feeding the people in their communities who are out there in the streets. And then there's the very real reality that there are so many people right now who are on hard times, who are food insecure, housing insecure, who are living paycheck to paycheck, who are relying on, on the stimmies, on the stimulus checks, on assistance, on help from friends, and on their community. And that is where the Fridge Girls come in. So my guest today is a member of the Fridge Girls. Her name is Taz Taveras. And I will read from their website, a really brief description. It says, we are four women from the Bronx who work to bring food to fridges in the uptown Harlem and the Bronx. We are connected to a much larger community fridge network that enables us to work with and mutually support other boroughs and organizations. So again, I haven't been traveling all that much right now. I don't know the situation everywhere. I don't know if this is a new concept for you. But here in New York, there are fridges that are stocked with food that are available to the community. There's one right here, like a a stone's throw from my apartment door on Marcy. And it says, gratis, free food, you can take the food. And it's kept stocked. And there's vegetables and pasta and lentils and milk and all sorts of stuff. And so that is what the Fridge Girls are doing. Stocking fridges, shipping food, keeping people fed. Around the holidays, they did a lot of fundraising and food procurement for Christmas, for Thanksgiving. They're doing really, really important work right now. And so I was really excited to have Taz on. She knows a whole lot about this stuff. She knows what's going on right now in the Bronx at Hunts Point and was able to, to tell me about that and ultimately tell you about that. So this was really cool. This is a group I really admire and it was a privilege to have them on and I'm, I'm glad that they said yes and they chose me as a platform to, to share their story to you all, Voyagers. So please, if you are able to, please show them some love. At the at this most minuscule level, give them a follow on social media. Uh, word of mouth, help it go viral, tell people about them. If you're able to support financially, please do that. Guys, sometimes like a dollar, five dollars can go a long way because if hundreds of people do that, if thousands of people do that, that really adds up. If you're here in New York and you want to get involved and you want to participate and help them, go to the show notes for this episode. I'll have links to their stuff. Taz also talks about it in the episode, how you can help out or follow them on social media. So if you can, please do. I have a Patreon. You can check that out via the the show notes as well. I always have it in there. But if you've got just a bit this week or this month or this couple of months and you can give to one thing, give to them before me because they're helping a wide range of people. All right, folks, enjoy this conversation with Taz from The Fridge Girls. Cool, cool, cool. Well, thank you for doing this. This is exciting for me. I appreciate you. No, of course. No, thank you for having
1: me. This is <laughs> the first time I've done anything like this, so this is awesome. Oh, yeah. 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 Ah, cool, cool. we've had like, um, people usually follow us on runs and things like that. So they'll (laughs) literally, people are just like, okay, are you safe? We're going to put you in our car. This is more so like in the summer, um, when people wanted to see like, oh, what is it that the fridge girls are actually doing? What are you up to? And all of the stuff, It's like the best way for you to see is to just like jump in the car and just fill up a fridge with us. Oh yeah. Um, But yeah, the first podcast.
0: Ah, well, uh, uh, you know, thanks for allowing me to be the first. This is cool. Um, so, so Tez, are you originally from the the Bronx or Harlem?
1: Yes, I'm from the Bronx. Born
0: and raised your whole life?
1: Born and raised my whole life. Um, uh, I, my mom was living around the South Bronx at the time. Um, so she was living in the housing project right there. Then she was like, all right, we got to get out of here. So I moved to Thrawcheck Housing lived there forever and then I moved to Yonkers for like a few years with my mom and now I live my part with my boyfriend in Riverdale in the Bronx so it's just been like
0: Bronx Chinese blip in Yonkers right back. And is that where you all do the majority of your work in you know food justice and mutual aid up in the Bronx Harlem area? Yeah
1: yes yeah. so it's in yeah so like Harlem um the Bronx, uptown, and then we have like connections with people that are in Astoria to are mutually there. So we'll kind of just like share resources or they share resources with us pretty much because,
0: <laughs> but they're all wonderful. But, yeah. Yeah. Who, who's working in Astoria? There's some type of fridge project there. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of fridges
1: out there in Astoria. Um, but two of the organizers
0: that are out there are
1: absolutely wonderful. Um, but there's they're all over Queens. I would say like Brooklyn is a really well-oiled machine where they've been out there for a while. So you really don't have like the learning curve or people like looking at the fridge saying, I don't know what this is, how do you know, how do I interact with this thing? Um, but Queens is they're really, really good at sharing resources and gaining resources and kind of like establishing principles about everything, mm. like things that people didn't really have to worry about in the beginning. But as it becomes bigger and grows in popularity, you kind of have to start writing these rules and see where's mutual aid, where is Sherry, where are these things aligning? Um, but I they're absolutely wonderful.
0: You know, I've done a lot of New York centered episodes, obviously, over the past year because we're all kind of stuck in wherever we are right now. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I, I kind of take for granted that maybe people really know about New York, but, you know, we have listeners from California to Japan to Pakistan. Uh, could you tell people what you love about the Bronx? Um, I love... I
1: don't know. I love everything. I can't imagine ever living anywhere else, (laughs) but it gets just the community of people and just, I don't know. There's, I feel like there's not many places where I have been in like Texas or in Colorado or like South America or something, run into some store where you say like, Hey, um, the, oh, where are you from? Where are you living from? And I'll be like, oh, the Bronx. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, like where? And just like having that follow-up question brings up so much excitement. So I'm like, oh, my God, where you, are you on the six line in on the one train? Um, where'd you grow up exactly? And so just like the familiarity of it. Yeah. Um, my family's, as far as uh, concerned, has always really lived in the Bronx. You have some people that kind of moved away to Texas, and that's about it. Um, but definitely just like the familial whole of everything you can get everything that you want to eat anywhere and it's going to be authentic the people are going to be authentic you're not going to really am i allowed to curse oh you can say whatever yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) i mean no one's full of shit so they're going to be as real as possible and it's because they don't really want to waste anyone else's time (laughs) so it's just like i'm not going to sit here and do this whole thing to be fake or ingenuine you'll get to the core of most people and what they actually want without having to To a whole insane 30 minute conversation of just like fluff. Mm. So I would say, so the people, the food, um, the parks, some of the most, like Pelham Bay Park is the biggest park in New York City. Um, City Island's wonderful. I'm just going to start like naming every (laughs) place that I love in the Bronx right now. Um, But yeah, so (laughs) all of those things, come visit the Bronx, it's not as scary as everyone likes to make it sound.
0: Yeah. I mean, can you uh, pinpoint either like a point in your life or maybe even a major influence that got you really thinking about community and wanting to do something for, you know, the benefit of the community and your neighbors and through, through this mutual aid work. Um, well let's
1: see. When did that, I started volunteering earlier, um, with like, the Girl Scouts and all of these other communities, but I was always kind of like, it's weird to explain the dynamics, but like where I grew up, it was predominantly um, like Italian, Irish, um, Italian neighborhood. I lived in the housing project. So it's like a very small community within this larger subset of this community. So when I was growing up, I didn't really think so much about community service as you do just like living in this kind of atmosphere um, where you're just growing all the time. I think once I started going to Fordham I took this class called Homelessness which was like one of the best classes that I took there. I, I was an English major so everything else like the criteria and the curriculum about religion was insane and boring to me but finally when you got to these core things that you can actually relate to um, it was great. So I took this class Homelessness and what they wanted us to do was uh, to volunteer at either POP in the Bronx. It's like a food kitchen that's absolutely amazing in Fordham. Or you can volunteer at uh, this place called Concourse House, which is a transitional women and children's shelter. So I had already worked there through work study. So I was like, you know what, I'll definitely go back. They're absolutely amazing. Um, And then there's so many sectors there. So there were other opportunities for me to go ahead and try. So I went and I volunteered there often. And it was it was absolutely amazing. And it was amazing in the way that you, so basically, it was a subset. So there were kindergarten and pre K downstairs, you know, pre K for all. And then upstairs was an after school program. Um, and all of the kids that you interacted with lived in that building except for pre K. So just to kind of hear just all of these things. And you, and honestly, being in the Bronx, you're constantly confronted with, you know, things that people might not want to see. Like you're going to often see people who are going hungry or that don't have housing or can barely make it to their next paycheck, you know, living literally paycheck to paycheck, um, doing all these crazy kinds of math every day. But just to be around these children specifically who were not ignorant to the way that life was at like six, seven years old was just it was it was eye opening um, by a lot because I was able to ignore and repress for a long time before I got old enough where I started to see everything. Um, so I volunteered there. And then after that, I started, I kept on volunteering um, at schools, particularly because I was very interested in seeing how the DOE and public schools and then private schools comparing all of them. So I got a little piece of kind of everything around there. And then I decided I didn't want to be a teacher, which is like hilarious because I'm now like substitute teaching but Mm -hmm. because it's remote and no one's in school they need vacancy teachers so now I am a teacher until June um but anyway I did not at all want to do it and it was just it seemed very very constricting and like there wasn't much freedom there wasn't much talk about community service about all of these resources that are around being like Concourse House and POTS but like the Bronx Zoo is right there and the Botanical Garden. There's so many of these resources that we know about that aren't shared or aren't made accessible. And we know that those things are on purpose. Um, But that's when I started volunteering. I was like, okay, what else can I do? Cause I like to just um, like to volunteer and just like get things done. I love hanging out. I love standing around and, you know, chilling. I just want to get shit done. Let's do this thing. Let's, you know, get our hands dirty and then keep going. Um, so I started volunteering with, uh, who was it? With City Harvest. So they would oh, go yeah. to different like housing sites or they would have one, like one was at St. Mary's, which was awesome. It would be like twice a month. You are really busy for like four hours and then you're absolutely done. And I was like, okay, this is, this is my seat. I can do this a lot. So I did a few of those and then I was a team leader for all of that stuff. And then after that, I started picking up a few, but The thing about volunteering, I think, for a lot of people is that it's very hard to, because you're literally going into a place you've never been to, and you do need to interact with people. So if you're, like, more introverted or you don't want to socialize, and I get that, um, it could be difficult, because you are going to be forced into a conversation with someone or whatever it is. Um, So for a lot of reasons, on top of the fact that I just, like, couldn't afford to volunteer full-time anymore, I just started working, focusing on that. So it was a little bit more of a lapse um, between like, I don't know, probably like three years where I wasn't going as heavily as I really wanted to because I just felt like this is not only like a type of therapy for people, a type of, you know, getting out there, getting, you know, it could be a physical activity depending on what you want to do. Um, But I really wanted to spend more of my time doing this thing. Uh, But to work. So years pass on, career, blah, 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 doing all of that other stuff. And then um, we fast forward to now, which is like last March of the pandemic hit, had just started working, just had like, okay, I'm set, I'm doing this thing. First week of work, then they're like, hey, by the way, it's like, we're completely remote, we can't do this. Yeah, I was like, okay, grateful at least to have a job until June, this is great. Um, and then when that ended, <laughs> I tried absolutely everything was doing like all of the bread crap that people were making and making beer and trying to do DIYs of everything and trying to find something, but it was just extremely depressing. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was just like, I need to do something. So uh, I started going to protests that were in the Bronx, you know, still being mindful because of the pandemic, but like, okay, I think we can do this thing. Um, And then soon enough, I was like, oh, I have time to volunteer again. I saw some flyer for uh, this Church 9 Million Reasons that we actually, ironically, now spend a lot of time getting sources from them. They're absolutely great. Um, But they're based in uh, Astoria, I believe. Yeah, they're based in Astoria. So anyway, (laughs) the first time that they came through, they were actually in the Bronx. Uh, They don't do it often because they don't have that much support or drivers or any of the resources that they really have there. Um, but we were doing home deliveries. So somehow between there and there, I hooked up with one of my other friends, Liz, who wanted to do more community service and work. Um, I was like, all right, cool. What are you thinking? Let's look into this. Um, and then the whole, we saw a few community fridges that were up in the Bronx. There was one, um, the friendly fridge, which is on like 242nd and Van Cortland, Van Cortland and Broadway. Um, and so we started started there, trying to find locations. All right, we'll do this. We didn't really know anything about it. So we're like, okay, where do you want to put it? We're completely wrong about that whole theory of how to start one. Um, but it didn't work out. At first, it was like a little disappointing because like any project or something that like lights that small fire inside of you and you are left, <laughs> I want to get this done. I want to do this. I want to be out there. Um, but it just felt like it was like dimming. I'm just like, okay, don't get, don't fall so in love and head over heels over for this thing. And it's fine. It's cool. Um, and then somehow time passes. I start getting onto this um, group chat on Signal. And it's a bunch of people. And it's like a group of like 300 people plus And they're all um, like looking for food that's just like surplus food. Uh, what happens a lot with like even City Harvest, what I would volunteer back then they would have so much surplus after and either wow. like city harvest takes it back or I'm not sure. Hmm. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no, I'm, 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 oh, okay. I'm following. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, so a lot of it, so a lot of like the trucks that you see, um, even things like from farmer's markets, uh, when they have that surplus, they've already like taken it from the ground. So All of that is just, I'm not sure what they would usually do with it. I'm assuming they take it home and cook it, but all of that stuff is just available. Um, Uh, Where else? Restaurants at the time, a lot of them were like throwing out their food because they weren't getting as much and you didn't really have much time to, you know, you could freeze things for so long. And then at that point, what are you doing? Um, So basically all of this excess food was everywhere and they just needed people who could drive it. And at that point, everyone was unemployed and they had all the time in the world and they really wanted to get out. Uh, so we would do, you know, you would just see them come up and it's like, okay, I got it. I'll do this one. Then you'll drop them off to the, I think at the time there were four or five verges, which is very easy to knock out at that point. Um, but then as time went on, they grew like exponentially and then it wasn't, obviously it's not as easy to control a network that went from four to like 11 to 16, Um, because when it's a smaller core, it's a lot easier for us to maintain and do everything. At one point we were, the the whole process for like drivers or volunteer drivers was you go, you, um, what is it that you do? You go, you pick up the food from the rescue. Um, you'll come back, you have to clean the fridge, then you have to fill up the fridge. You empty out all the boxes. You break down the box, you put on the sign, then you move it on to the next one, um, which was cool when it was like three or four fridges. You get that done in like two hours and you're chilling. But then when you're like by yourself doing these things, it's great because you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to music and, you know, do all of your busy work. But then it becomes like very strenuous work. And then you're doing this work by yourself. Um, so I'm not, I can't even remember when it was entirely that I started working with the other girls. Um, but we realized that, we did things a lot a lot quicker and a lot more efficiently when we worked together rather than trying to take on this whole thing by ourselves. Um, so then I have met Dee, Dee at um a fridge that used to be on Kingsbury Road in Jerome. She was there just like a light, just like so quick to go ahead and just grab the boxes from me. She's like, Oh no, I got it, it's fine, it's nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. I was like, Oh, that's Really awesome to just like have help, have that feeling that this thing is like, I don't have to worry about this, you go. Um, so at that point, Allison and Dee Dee were, they met at a protest as well. They started volunteering together and driving food to the fridges. So I was doing it as well. I started volunteering with a friendly fridge. And then somehow we literally blinked our eyes and we were volunteering like five, six days a week, and it just felt like, hey, me out. It was like, oh, you want to get a beer? Oh, you want to get a coffee? Okay, we'll go ahead and then we'll fill the fridges and get Chinese food at one in the morning. It's cool. Um, which was awesome. <laughs> and that's pretty much where we're kind of at now, but it's grown in so many ways.
0: Yeah, I have so many questions about Please. logistics. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm assuming you have to find a place that's going to agree to power this, right? Because you're using electricity. Yeah. So how does exactly. that work? Um,
1: it's, I have never had success in it. <laughs> I'm also just like, if someone says no to me, I'm just like, oh, it's cool, it's cool, don't worry about it, it's fine, don't worry about it. Um, but you really have to be insistent. Um, you might, I've heard people, you have to, they would just go every day and just ask them. You know, we they do offer because um, each fridge ends up having like some kind of a fund. So they offer to pay the electricity. It's not a industrial fridge, so it's not going to cost as much. I think they say like at most it's like 150 dollars a year, if that. So they'll end up fundraising that. And they'll say, listen, we'll give you the check for this. Um, there have been like some, like some places that they just absolutely refuse. They're not into the idea. Um, One was in the South Bronx has just moved like literally 20 feet to the right because the store owner didn't want it in front of his store anymore. Um, But yeah, you just have to be real persistent, explain that this is something, this is mutual aid, this is something that's really good for the community, explain the process, um, and then just hope that they see it and they understand that because there's so many questions that come up like, what do you do if someone's hoarding food or what do you do if someone's stealing food or what do you and all these things or the answer to all of them is that this is, this isn't stealing. Um, if you need the food, it's there. Uh, this is something that's for the community. We're going to make sure we take responsibility for it. We're cleaning it. We'll clean the dirt around it. You don't have just make it a thing so that they don't have to worry about it. And this is an added onshore cause it shouldn't be. It should be something that eventually the community takes on as its own. And then everyone just circulates and maintains it and fills it and gives it love and all of that stuff.
0: I'm assuming maybe, I don't know if you put this out through like social media channels and stuff like that. um, People are are donating fridges, I'm assuming. Yeah,
1: um, a lot of the time they get donated. Uh, There have been a few that people will put something out and let them know like, hey, we're looking for a fridge or we're looking for a fridge host and then that'll kind of put out a blast for people to go around and uh, see it. But there are fridges that are in like storage units. We get messages at, all the time people just be like, Hey, by the way, I have like this extra fridge. If you know anyone, and then you go into the signal chat, you ask anyone if they need it. Um, and then you just figure it out. Like there's one amazing volunteer, Lily, who drives her tow truck. So, some people will hit her up like, hey, you mind moving this fridge today? She's like, yeah, cool. All right, we'll do this. But it's really just like a community effort to try and make sure that this is as low cost as
0: possible. Wow. Yeah. Do, I'm assuming that people who are accessing the food like come from a spectrum, right? I'm, I would assume from yeah. people who are completely housing insecure to the point where, you know, they're living mm-hmm. on the street – to mm-hmm. people who, like you said, are living paycheck to paycheck and maybe aren't making ends meet. Uh, h- mm-hmm. How often do you actually get to to meet and interact with folks who are accessing the fridges?
1: Um, it depends. I mean, the more that you fill it up, the more that you'll have access or you'll talk to more people. Um, a lot of the time with this, especially we saw more in the beginning and now that the fridges that are in particular, particularly. Like, streets or wherever they are people become more comfortable um but you have to be a little bit more mindful that some people are gonna feel uncomfortable because it seems like oh you're seeking help or you're getting help from somebody else and you you know then people feel like they're being perceived as weak or less than or anything like that so I think finding a way to approach people in a way that they understand that hey this is just like a thing for everyone this doesn't mean anything this is everybody and that's the whole thing is that everybody eats yeah the one thing that connects us all is we all absolutely need food um that's to answer your question a lot of the time so usually it's like especially with the pandemic you have to tell people to be mindful like make sure you're wearing a mask or please just like let's keep distance because we don't know um but a lot of times talking about food with people like we don't ever really get into any conversations unless someone's asking about resources about how to, you know, get lick or get snap or you know, good ways to find rescues or anything like that. But a lot of the time it's just like do you want some mangoes? <laughs> and yeah. Just be like, "Oh, we have mangoes in here. Oh, we have bananas, um, milk, kind bar. You you what do you like chicken? You like chicken noodle? Okay, it's it's over here actually." Or just being like, "Hey, just give me like a minute and I'm going to you write with you in a second, we'll, you know, do this thing. But it's really just talking it's like a very comfortable supermarket hang with talking with people, which is like, hey, you need this thing, let's go ahead.
0: Wow. Um, you know, living living in New York, it's not uncommon to see, like if you think about walking down the street outside of a work site or a popular corner or something like that, seeing somebody pull up with a cooler around lunchtime and sell things that are made out of their kitchen. Especially now during the pandemic mm-hmm. as people are trying to get creative uh, mm-hmm. you know, to supplement their income or even as a primary source of income, selling food. I, I guess technically that's illegal because you need a permit and mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know all of the the logistics that go into that. But what is the city's like reaction and response to what you do? And are there any uh, any hurdles to to doing this work?
1: I think in the future, there will be many hurdles. Um, right now, I think the thing that is wonderful about the fridges is that, that they're not restricted at the moment. Um, there's no red tape. There's no a lot of places when you do like a distribution, um, if they're like USC boxes or something like that, They'll ask for like pictures, they'll ask for names, they'll ask for phone numbers of the people, addresses of the people, all things that we do not ask for, we do not want, do not tell us, um, but I really think in time, once it, I mean, it hasn't so far, but it could happen to be a thing that the city gets their hands on and puts a lot of restrictions on. And understandably so, I can see why someone might be concerned. I mean, the fridges are typically maintained, um, you know, twice a day. Um, We all make sure that the food gets labeled, it gets covered. If you see that something's open, you throw it out. Um, There is the Bill Emerson Act, which protects all of the fridges and then all of the businesses that have them out inside, outside? Outside, yeah. Um, Which basically says, like, as long as you're not donating food that you know is spoiled, you are okay. It is absolutely fine to donate food, to donate anything. And if the person if a person happens to get sick, then the you know, the fridge host or the restaurant or the bodega that has it outside is not responsible. So it's more of like an incentive to say that this thing is okay for you to do. And I understand why you might be cautious, but this thing protects it at the very least.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. I mean, you are getting noticed. There are, you know, news articles. Mm-hmm. You're here on this very popular podcast. I mean, <laughs> have has local government or anyone recognized you or reached out to you at all? So, <laughs> to be very honest, a lot of
1: us try our best not to um, not to invite local government or local politicians yeah. into it, just because a lot of what mutual aid really represents is that you know, the government has not been putting forward legislation that protects our people, that um, gives food to our people, that gives resources to our people. So we're putting it in our own hands to make sure that we protect each other. Um, So for many reasons, we don't really affiliate ourselves with anyone. Um, But that's not to say that, you know, we have the DSA, we have... um, sorry. That's we okay. have other groups that are also involved. But when it comes to politicians, we've definitely seen them like be like, oh, and I, you know, I sponsor this beautiful thing that is here. So all of I think the growing popularity within the fridges and the movement make them love this thing. This is perfect for our neighborhoods. We love this. We you know, but until, you know, in the future, if anything changes, then we'll see how that tune changes. But there have been some that try really hard to get involved or we'll show up at distributions and kind of um, you know you take that one picture and now that's your distribution kind of thing.
0: Ah, Yeah I was just gonna say a lot of these times these things turn into photo ops. Um, Yeah that's that we've seen that we've
1: seen that at protests we've seen that at cleanups it's like at this point, it's just like you're watching Parks and Rec all the time, but it's hilarious because you're just like watching these things happen. You're just
0: like, is this – you guys are real? You really – okay, that's fine. If, yeah, if, yeah. if they were willing to work on you on your terms and give you mm-hmm. the autonomy to operate as you see fit but provide you with like capital, would that be mm-hmm. something worth exploring?
1: I think, I mean, everyone is autonomous and that's one cool thing about the fridges. Um, I think personally, we would be saying, no, we're okay. Um, but you should explore these other mutual aid groups that would be willing to work with you. Uh, or you should explore this absolutely amazing restaurant that has been doing you know, work for the past X amount of years. Mainly like La Morada is one absolutely amazing. Okay, can you talk about that?
0: Can, what can, can you talk about them, the work they're doing, and and how how important they are to the Bronx? Oh my gosh,
1: they're like beacons, honestly. Um, there's a lot of really amazing people doing work here. That's why it's just like for so the fridge girls, and we're you know if someone wants to work, that's like cool. We're kind of like chilling over here, and we're good. But like La Morada, definitely should look into them. Um, but they basically saw the pandemic as an as a, a sign that they should turn themselves into a soup kitchen. So it's not like anyone was like demanding or anything. They just decided, okay, this is what's right. We're going to pay our employees and we're going to put out food every single day for our mutual aid groups that are within, you know, um, within our community and beyond. Um, so they're literally just like whipping up amazing food every single day and organizing it with us so that we can drop them at fridges or drop them at community, um, mutual aid groups. They recently for the strikers in Hunts Point, um, no lie. I texted the sister in the morning. It was like, Hey, just want to let you know, like I'm going to stop by the strike later. Um, you know, if you need anything, like let us know. And she, no lie. Like 15 minutes later, she was just like, Hey, let me know when you're going to pick them up. I'll have like a hundred tamales. And I was just like, I did not, think that you were going to give me the food for it i was just like letting you know i was going to be over there if you needed anything She was like no 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 like let us know when you're on the way because i'll make sure the food's still hot i'm just like okay you're amazing (laughs) just it's like one tiny portion of what the amazing things that they do but they're a real beacon and voice for the south bronx
0: do you know how, how they are able to afford to do that
1: um, I think that they have like everyone applies for like grants or micro grants, which uh. help. Um, I know other restaurants have gone through like World Central Kitchen or rethink, and there's other places that help soup kitchens. But I think for them, and I can't speak for them because I'm not entirely sure. But it's been like micro grants and then the fundraising that they've done. Uh, they have a good amount of support, but don't get me wrong, they can absolutely use more support. So like we'll bring, if we find extra produce or something like that, we'll bring it over to them and Natalia, the chef, she will make soup out of absolutely anything and it'll be delicious. So it's honestly a lot of the work is mutual aid.
0: Can you, we keep saying mutual aid, it may be a new Mm -hmm. term for people. And I know you've done a lot Mm -hmm. of work in, educating people on what mutual aid is and differentiating that from charity. Can you sort of explain the difference?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So mutual aid is literally when you and your community have decided that the needs of the people are not being met. So you're going to take it into your hands and you're going to do it. So if you see that people aren't being fed, you're going to go out of your way to cook at your house and bring food to some, you know, to a shelter, to an organization or anywhere that you'd like. Whereas charity is, you're giving this thing. You're, you know, you're donating this amount of money and this I'm giving this to you um, kind of thing. Whereas, so I guess mutual aid is like one hand shakes the other and everyone benefits. it. Yeah. So like La Morada, for example, it's great because they make food to fill the community fridges. And in turn, when we find surplus from distributions, we bring it to them and they just turn it into food again. So it just ends up everyone, everyone
0: wins. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my brain's like popping with thoughts here. Um, so mm-hmm. I, thank you for humoring me. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned something quite important that's going on right now. And that's uh, the strike in Hunts Point, mm-hmm. which honestly could have like reverberations nationally and then, as we've seen with the protests over the past summer, how those had reverberations across the entire globe. So um, mm-hmm. and not that uh, I need you to educate everyone, but can can you kind of explain a little bit what's happening there up in Hunts Point? In
1: Hunts Point, um, all of the workers – so Hunts Point, for anyone that doesn't know, is like – I. Is it the largest produce market? I don't want to say in the world, but in the country, it is absolutely, they say that it's the largest produce market. Um, So they have been dealing with a lot um, in general, but all they were asking for was a dollar more. Um, A lot of what we heard, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, it's like, thank you so much to our essential heroes, our essential workers and all of these thank yous. But at the end of the day, if you're not being provided for in a way that, matches your work and the amount of work that you're putting in. It doesn't matter what label you put on me. I'm still a human being who's being either underrepresented, underappreciated. Um, and so this has been going on for so much time, but the local teamsters uh, decided to strike the union that's over here um, to try and get their dollar raise. And then after $1, a few- right? $1 was- raise. Oh, yeah. It was $1. Yes. Um Crazy. But I would definitely double-check that just to make sure. No, I that think it is $1, working. yeah. Yeah, um, so they decided to strike. They were out there 24 hours a day. Um, they had, that we went the last day that AOC was there, and then the next day there was a renegotiation, but it went on for quite a while. People were out in the cold. Um, but I will say that when we went, it was like a, it was lively. There was, you know, we had... We had gotten there because we were like, oh, we have to bring, let's bring, like, coffee. We Absolutely, the next time if you're ever trying to bring donations to a protest, find someone at the protest to find out what they actually need. Definitely made that mistake. So we brought, you know, coffee and all these things we get there. They have so much food, so much coffee, all of these other things that we ended up actually taking donations to bring to the community fridges. But it was absolutely beautiful because all of these people had come what was funny is that it kind of became like a, you know, social media sensation protest, apparently, from what they've said. Um, so it grew in a lot of, pro- uh, you know, grew a lot of popularity. And then, um, so that particular day they had, everyone was just sending like hundreds of boxes of pizzas for everyone. And so everyone was kind of just like hanging out and talking and speaking about everything. And then the next day we were going to come back and they said like, oh, the renegotiation has already happened. We're just astounded because it's something that, you know, a dollar sounds like nothing and obviously they would get it, but not many people thought that they were just like, who's going to care? Either the protests are going to end up getting a little bit more violent or there's going to be more of a police presence or, you know, what's going to happen? Are these people, are they safe? Are we safe protesting? And then we went the next day and drove by and
0: it was completely empty. Wow. Yeah. This is going to be sort of a long winded thought. Um, mm-hmm. that's, I think part of it, uh, like a two part question here, but, um, I like touch on politics sometimes on here. Uh, I'm not a fence sitter. I just usually don't get too deep into it. Um, but I sort of feel like I'll say, I'll, I'll phrase it like this. Mm-hmm. We're all happy that Trump's gone but yeah. th- i think some of like the the jubilation that we have this like, biden administration is i'm not so confident in it you know mm-hmm. i don't necessarily think that a whole lot is going to change i think that we're at a we're at a bit of a breaking point here where for far too long the american empire has treated People like they're disposable. Like the like the earth, like it's everlasting and always renewable, and it is splintering right now. Um, and we're sort of at I think I know I'm no expert here, but I think we're at the point sort of of the point of no return, or a major sea change. Maybe it's not a, a bloody revolution, but some sort of social revolution. And I think what you're doing and what a lot of groups are doing. Is part of that. Like we're watching right now, uh, Reddit investors completely (laughs) fuck Mm -hmm. with with the market right now, Um, and and I see that as part of it. So I, I guess my two questions for you are: With the work that you do, are you partnering with organizations that are doing other work outside of food as part of like a broader a broader community network of people and like honestly and realistically do you feel hopeful for the future um well sorry that's a lot I completely lot. agree with
1: you in the fact that it's terrifying to think that with everything that we've seen that it's Still so easy to pull the wool over people's eyes, and that part is very, very scary because um, with you know between the protest and everyone having to be home and glued to the news it you know and <laughs> surprisingly enough, people were still very it was very easy for people I'll say it like this um to ignore you know the truth still um we saw the insanity every day and then you know every once in a while I'll we'll log onto Facebook and see that people are still spewing like insane horseshit and knowing that these people are still very much out here. Um we saw with like the insurrection of the Capitol, it's it's terrifying. Um so it, it's funny that you say this now because I was thinking about um you were talking about the way maybe the city putting more restrictions on the fridges and have they and has local government stepped up and said anything. Um, because I think right now people think of like the food justice movement as something that's not very aggressive and something that's not very, you know, it's not very intimidating. It's not very in your face. Um, it's a lot easier to think or talk about it like, oh, sure. Yeah, whatever. I do think at some point as things progress, I'm really hoping everyone kind of just like stays on track and sees that, you know, all of this all of these systems have been put into place on purpose. None of this is an accident. You're not wrong about what you're thinking about how like fucked up all of this is at all. Um, so I will say that I am hopeful because I really do hope that we continue on this path because there's so much more like hideous, disgusting work to do. Um, so like, it's funny because I'm like, I'm hopeful that we will get deeper into all of this than we are now, but it is still scary as hell. Um, we, like I said before, a lot of this is like a kind of therapy because it's just like feeling like you have a stake in what's going on in the world. Like if we do this, then at least this one person eats despite all the powers that are against that don't want you to eat or don't want you to be warm or to have clothing or anything like that. Um so there's a lot of power in just being able to do something <laughs> and to answer your first question we absolutely want to and have been trying to work more outside of the food movement specifically um and work with other like we're sticking mostly to the Bronx right now because there's enough that needs to be done here but working and collaborating with all of the other organizations um Nonprofits, mutual aid groups that are doing the work here to try and just build our network up stronger so that when, you know, when the next election comes up or when the next park needs to be put up or the next decision that needs to be made about, you know, communities in our borough, we can at least have the infrastructure to fight it and to, you know, whether that be protesting or striking or voting, um, to just kind of have that built to some extent.
0: Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) I'm putting this thought together. It's really interesting because as you were Mm -hmm. saying that I was thinking that everybody, everybody eats, everybody has to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I in no way condone or would ever excuse the whatever whatever we want to call it the the rioters at mm-hmm. the at the Capitol, I think at 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 the root of their issue that I don't even know if they're conscious of it are systemic failures that have failed them largely in regards to our economy. Again, treating them like they're replaceable and can be thrown out, and I th- I think at at the heart of that is a system that really doesn't benefit anybody except for a certain class of people. Now, there are certainly additional distinctions, especially for people of color who have to go through systemic racism and everything that goes with that. So I'm not saying that it's the exact same thing, but I'm saying that there is a mutual benefit for everyone to come together to change things. And maybe it's idealistic, but I was thinking when you were saying that perhaps the the food movement hasn't, or, or the food justice movement haven't, hasn't been labeled as aggressive enough. But I really think maybe there's an opportunity there. Uh, you know, it's when I travel, like one of the biggest icebreakers and ways to connect with people is over a meal, especially with strangers who mm-hmm. maybe you don't agree with or don't know, or you perceive you have nothing in common with. When you're hungry, you're hungry, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and and when you're food insecure, you're food insecure, and that 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 knows no color, no creed, no religion, no nothing. So I don't know. Like maybe this isn't quite a pr- profound thought, but maybe there is something to the food justice movement as a way to connect people who think that they don't have uh, something, you know, that's mutually in common there. Yeah. No, I agree with you, and it's. I mean.
1: There's absolutely still, there's, you know, there's, there's racism and there's discrimination and everything. Like even for a while we were saying like, you know, um, food insecurity and it's not that people are food insecure. It's that the systems have been created in this way where people cannot afford to go ahead and do this because they're so backed up on all of these other things that they need to do. Um, but I do agree. I cannot wait. For one day, like the dream honestly is that one day the pandemic is over and we can have like community wide events and work and collaborate with other people and do potlucks and just, I've always, you know, had an idea about how much food really does connect people and how you'll really get like the most authentic version of someone when they're cooking, when they're preparing a meal for you or just like that bond that you get over sharing this home cook thing. Um, So I think one day when we don't have to worry so much about every single thing, at least just with the pandemic, um, we're gonna find that it's a much bigger tool to be within like in this um, part of the movement because we'll be able to connect with so many people in so many different facets. Um, But I agree, I think it's the one thing that will link so many cultures. I was talking to someone recently um, that organizes this amazing nonprofit, Loving the Bronx, over in Parkchester. Um, so she's been doing, like, food distributions, and they work in the Parks Department, and they do all of these things, but they were talking about how that area specifically has so many different cultures, and you'll never get people in the same room, because it's coming from different religions, different mm. ethnicities, different cultures, different foods, and... Um, and all of these things. But when you are able to, when we're able to one day get everyone into the same room at least and bond over this one thing, whether it's your dish or yours, you'll have someone, you know, you'll have something there. Because I think a lot of it is just not knowing or not understanding or not being, you know, um, exposed to it. I know she was saying, um, the, great, um, when she grew up in her building. Uh, it was a majority, like everyone that was in that building was Jewish. So, and Jewish and white and all of these other things, but just not Hispanic or black. So when they cooked, people would talk about how like horrible their food smelled and (sighs) you're staking up the hallway and all of this other stuff. And, um, you know, now time has gone by and different cultures are moving in. And they're saying the exact same thing, like, oh, the Indian food down there smells, ugh, I can't stand the way that it smells in the hallways. And she's just, saying, she's just like, you didn't like it when it was done to you. And you know that the food is delicious. Like, try the food. Yeah. Go ahead and just, you know, just get a little bit of exposure. Try the food and you won't be so mad all the time. But it's the honest truth It's that you're not trying to understand or, you know, just, I think that one day it'll be a little easier, hopefully.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, the work that you're doing is amazing. I mean, we we touched on some of this more in depth. Some of this uh, we touched on lightly, but from from connecting people to feeding people to preventing food waste. I mean, you talk about how people get priced out of food, yet at the same time, so much food gets thrown out. Uh, there's a really great documentary called uh, "Wasted," I believe it's called about. Uh, food waste that was produced by uh, Nari Kai, and it has uh, Anthony Bourdain in it. But I mean, y- you see it all the time from from going out to eat where people throw out half their plate to stores just having to throw things out because it's a day past the expiration date. When the food is perfectly good, I mean, that is that is if that's not a byproduct of. Like this myth of American exceptionalism and, and the capitalist model of just produce, produce, produce. Um, so it, I mean, it, it's amazing that you can repurpose that for for people who are hungry, uh, which seems like a no-brainer. Um, you know, you you all are doing amazing work up there, and, and I hope people will find inspiration in it and get involved in whatever way they can, either here in New York or or elsewhere. Um, I do want to like try to connect people with you all if, if they can. So how can people either get involved with helping you in the physical setting or providing resources? Absolutely. So in general, um, I know that again, it
1: is weird to go out and the very thing that I told you guys about going out and, you know, volunteering, it can be uncomfortable, it's okay to be uncomfortable, just be uncomfortable just a little, um, go into your local bakery, go into your local produce market, go to this summer. A lot of the food that we rescued this summer was from farmer's markets. These amazing farmers who were just so just here, take it, take all of the rest that's here and just put it into your fridges. It's fine. Um, cause people do have surplus. It's just a fact of the matter. Um, there's like a it's a great, but it's terrible documentary about supermarkets and just the way that just all of the food that gets wasted because it's not, you know, it doesn't look good enough for whatever it is. It's usually really because it, it's a little bit of more of a bumpy apple or something like that, but go into your local stores, ask them if they have any surplus. Find a way to arrange and pick it up and ask more than once. Like the first time they might just look at you like, why are you going to try and take my bagels that I was going (laughs) to throw out anyway? Um, But after a time, you might stick something in their head that they actually think about it. Like, oh my God, I really do throw out all of this at the end of the day. Can it be used for something else? Because I think once you have in your head that this is garbage, you know, you don't give a shit if you throw it out or what it is. But if you start thinking about it as, Food, or that this is something that can actually help someone, and I'm just throwing it into a landfill. You'll start making a difference in people's minds. Um, but if you wanted to volunteer with us, and you are in New York, if you wanted to check us out, we are on Instagram. It's at the Fridge Girls. Um, we have a few opportunities online that you can check out or reach out to us at thefridgegirls.com. Um, it's all pretty simple. <laughs> we have our email is the girls at gmail.com. Um, but if you're not in New York, I will say, look up all of your mutual aid groups. You might find one that you, you know, and it's not to say that if just because someone calls themselves a mutual aid group, that they're amazing people, then there's still bad people in the world. Um, don't get me wrong, but do that. And then my last tip about getting involved in anything, um, don't do it alone because you know, again, still bad people in the world make sure that you have a buddy. Um, if you're doing fridge work in particular, it's going to be so much easier to, um, drop off all of this food while you're driving. If you have somebody else that's like doing GPS and sending messages and doing all this crazy stuff and helping you unload. (laughs) But yeah, I think that that covers everything I believe.
0: Well, thank you, Taz. Uh, I really appreciate you giving me the time and for uh, allowing me to be the first person to share your message and your story. That's an mm-hmm. honor. Um, what you're doing is really amazing. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. I'm so excited. That is a wrap on episode 204 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you so much to Taz and thank you to the Fridge Girls for coming on and for sharing their story It's a real honor and a real privilege to be able to do so. Thank you, Voyagers, for tuning in, as always. About a month, a month and a half ago, I had worked on a small little project where I did a zine, and it was to help in a very small way to promote local businesses and restaurants right here in the neighborhood that I live in, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And it also helped me to kind of get my feet wet in working in a different artistic medium in in print, in putting out a zine. And so that was cool for me and that was exciting and I love to do that. So I'm working on a couple more projects now and one of them I'm really excited about. I won't talk uh, about like what it is thematically yet, but just know that I've got some cool stuff coming out that is connected to the podcast but also sort of outside of the podcast. I may also have an opportunity in the pretty near future to do a bit of traveling and to get some episodes in person from a place outside of New York. So trying to make the best of 2021, we did the best we could with 2020, but uh, trying to go above and beyond 2020 and 2021 and give you all some cool things, some new content and some other artistic mediums. So I'm excited about that. I am hopeful for the future. Um, I don't know on the long term, like we talked about in this episode, um, the direction that the world's headed in, but hopefully here at TV TV Industries, we will have a good year. So thank you folks for listening. As always, please take care of each other. I will catch you very, very soon.